my attempt is not to be before you long this evening, but I want to impress upon us the thought of having passion for my king. Can you say that? Passion for my king is something different when you make it audible and you make it personal. Because Jesus should be your king. Looking at the gospel according to Mark, the 15th chapter, verse 12, Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. I want to read again verse 12 to you. Pilate asked them, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? May I ask you, what will you do with this man, the king of the Jews? First, as we look at this time of meditation, whose king is he? Before they get before Pilate, when they are talking to Jesus in the temple and they're trying him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees ask him point blank, are you? the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Are you the Son of the Blessed One? They asked them, and Jesus responded to them, and you will see me coming in my glory on a cloud. And then they got indignant. How dare he? Stripped his robes, and then they spat on him, hit him in the face, blindfolded him, told him to prophesy. Who are we? You see here, they asked a question they did not want to hear the answer to. Whose king is he? Jesus answered to them simply, but they responded to him indignantly. So much so they said, well, uh, we got him for blasphemy. He blasphemed. He's, he's not the king. He's not the Messiah. He's not the anointed one. In spite of what he says, uh, we've already made up our mind that he's not who he says he is. My question to you as who king is, if he is the king, do you believe him? Because if you believe it, then you will act as if you believe it. But oftentimes, when we hear things we don't want to hear, we already made up our mind, no matter what comes out of that person's mouth, you already made up your mind how you're going to react. They already made up their mind that they did not believe Jesus to be the Messiah. They've been trying to kill him for a long, long time. But each time it became more and more and more of a passion. It was not till it reached its apex until Jesus raised Lazarus when he said, man, we sure enough got to kill him. And not just him, but Lazarus too. It wasn't until then they made up their mind, we definitely have to kill him. And now they finally had a chance to get him because he was delivered by Judas. And then once he was delivered to the Sanhedrin and to the chief officers, they delivered him 
to Pilate. And when they delivered him to Pilate, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Look at here, the two questions here. Whose king is he? One, they asked, are you the Christ? They did not say the king. They said the Christ because the Christ to the Jews understood that if you are the Christ, you are the king. Pilate was trying to realize that I don't want to have problems because Pilate's in the city. Why is Pilate in the city? Pilate shows up in the city when there's festivals. When the Jews are having their celebration, he shows up just to make sure they don't act a fool. Pilate does not like them. They don't like him. The feeling is mutual. That's why it says in the text, in order to appease the crowd, as you notice, the text says they became a mob. You know when a crowd changes into a mob? That's when it became unruly. The basketball team wins the game. The crowd goes out streets and become a mob. They become unruly. Pilate saw them unruly. He says, I am not going to fall for this, so I'll let Barabbas go. To appease them. Whose king is he? Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? But yet we found he was solid and just simply said, it is as you say. Jesus is standing there, knowing who he is, but being rejected by those who he tells them who he is. Isn't that the most frustrating thing in the world? When you're telling somebody the truth and they're looking at you and arguing with you, telling what, what you're not, what you're saying is not the truth. Isn't that the most frustrating thing in the world? You know it's the fact, you know it's the truth, but they keep on talking to you like you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus realized that he's going to be betrayed. And at that moment, at that time, he's still speaking the truth, but they can't receive it. Why does it matter if he is the king? You might ask. Why does that even matter? Look what's happening here. The Jew council, the chief priests and the officers cannot kill Jesus unless he gets permission from the Roman government. They knew that. So that might add on some more understanding why they try to get Jesus to condemn the woman caught in adultery. Just another trick to catch Jesus messing up. But as we know, our, our God never sinned. And so they were trying to catch him up, trip him up. So if they cannot get him for blaspheme and they cannot get him saying that he is a king, well, we know that Pilate does not want any mess happen up in here. And if we have a king, he's so up, might go ahead and make him a capital punch. But look here, Pilate asked Jesus and found out that Jesus was innocent. And since he was innocent, Pilate did not want to condemn an innocent man whose king is he. If he is king, then it's the fulfillment of the scriptures. If he is king, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, he is the one that was told through David that I will bring a king that will reign forever. If he is king, then it goes back to when Abraham blessed Judah and saying from your tribe will come one ruling with a scepter. If he is king, he is this male seed that came from the woman to crush the serpent's head. If he is king, he is the Messiah, the one that was told to come who is and will reign forevermore. But yet 
something block them from seeing this. It's the king is Messiah and Lord. That would suggest that they must be subject to him. But look how they have him. The king who is, they have him as is, chained up, beat down. Now his face is marred with shame. Had open pores on his skin for where his beard has been snatched out. Bruises on his face from when they blindfolded him and slapped him while they were trying him. Trying to tell him to answer the questions. Then he's turned over to Pilate in a beaten down state. Have anybody here been up all night? Want to rest, but you can't rest. Jesus has been up all night. It's now morning and they still messing with him because they got to prepare him to see Pilate because Pilate starts his business early in the morning. So they got to be ready to travel to go see him and be ready. And I can see them just beating on Jesus as they wait. And then they bring him before Pilate. Pilate sees this man, this man that's been already ill-treated to stand before him to be tried. And he asks them, what do you want me to do? With your king. It's amazing here that he he says, well, if he's your king, what do you want me to do with your king? They say, crucify him. He knows at the festival he usually makes sure that he releases somebody. They got one who's a lowly criminal that causes riots and murders people. But he's really no no concern of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they probably can't control him. He might be working for them, but yet they fear the king and say, no, release Barabbas, crucify him. We read in other synaptic of the Gospels talking about, so they yelled even louder, crucify him. Look what's happening to the king. The king who come to save the world has been rejected by the world he came to save. The king that came to set the captives free is there standing in chains. The king that gave up his life in order for us to have life is now standing there being rejected for his own life. They have no passion for him anymore. The one they yelled out, Hosanna, Hosanna. In the highest, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. The same king that they will crowd around the houses just to see him, just to touch the hem of his garment, just to bring those who are lame and blind to him. The same ones that chased after him while his cousin was, was, his, was, was, uh, was killed, his head cut off. He wants to get some time away. They chase after him, and he still speaks to them. And not only that, he feeds them with five loaves and two barley, and he feeds the multitude, the same one that's able to say, Peace, uh, be still, the same one. They're rejected now. His closest friends have left him now. Peter has denied him three times now. Judas has betrayed him with a kiss now. The same ones he came to, he is already suffering. He's going to suffer more because Herod, uh, Pilate gets him and turns him over to the soldiers. And then they beat him some more. It does not say Pilate said he scores them with a lead tip whip. 
And then he turned them over to the soldiers. If you keep on reading, the soldiers then had some fun. They said they called all of them to come in because it's playtime now. Then they made a thorn crown and placed it on his head, took off his clothes and put on a scarlet robe on him and bowed and mocked him, saying, Hail to the king of the Jews, whose king is he. And they beat him with the rod upon the crown of his thorn, saying, Hail to the king of the Jews, whose king is he. They make a cross for him to bear, and they put an inscription above his head. Here is the king of the Jews, whose king is he. And they see the sign above Jesus' head, and they cry out, He is not our king. Caesar is only our king. What liars they are. They don't even want to pay taxes to Caesar. But yet, when they see the true king before him, they reject him. Whose king is he? Because if he is our king, If he is my king, then I will subject myself to him and not make him an object for me. Jesus became an object to them as a way for them to remove any that was hindering them. Many times in our lives, we have to check who's really Lord in our lives. Because if Jesus is truly Lord, then I am doing anything and everything to please him. But when I become Lord, I do anything and everything to please me. We see the chief priests doing anything and everything to please themselves because uh, they were losing their grip. We find out when he comes in, right, they run after him. They say, what can we do to stop him? Look how they go after him. Are you that passionate that you'll drop everything to follow after Jesus? Are you that desperate for him that you will forsake everything to be there with him? Or is he a fair-weather God for you? That when things are good, he's your king. While the money's in your account, he's your king. While the doctor gives you a clean bill of health, he's your king. While there's no problems in your marriage, he's your king. But the problem is when all the things are going well... You don't acknowledge him anyway. You say, because I have a good job, or I have a good wife, or I have been healthy all my life, instead of saying, only but by God's grace. Do I have this job, this good husband, this good wife, this good house? But too many times we try to put it in our hands like they did to Jesus. They beat him. With their hands. You'll probably think I've never done that to Jesus. But every time you lie. It's like a hand going across his face. Who slapped him. Every time we sneak out at night doing things we should not do. It's just like us coming at night like Judas and giving him a kiss. Every time we go out and just destroy our temple, it's just like us taking our letter whip and whipping him. I want you to grab that this was not just some superficial 
situation that Christ went through, it is real. And it's so real, he did it for us. He took on the shame of the cross to be our king. We read in Philippians second chapter that though he was God, he became a slave. He went from being the master of all to the slave of all. Do you see here now how Isaiah talks about how he was led as a sheep is led to the slaughter? Do you see now how he was bruised and scourged all for our sins and our transgressions? He took on our shame to set us free. You see, the passion of our king should in turn give us passion for our king. He realized that we could not pay the debt on the cross. So he said, I will set you free. Do you know that the wages of sin is death? Lord, have mercy. But yet this king who they rejected said, Lord, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And while Jesus is still suffering on that cross with the epitaph above his head, king of the Jews, they mock him still because they don't believe. Look what they say to him. If you are the Messiah, come down from there. If you are. What they're trying to suggest is that we don't believe you, so we're mocking you. No, you can't do so. They are standing there thinking they have him just where they want him. But yet, Jesus has us just where he wants us. Aren't you glad while we were yet still sinners, he died for us. Oh, whose king is he? Do you see here that Jesus sees our need and we're blinded by our own selfish, prideful ego? Jesus is trying to set us free and yet they have the same ones who he's dying for mocking him. Saying he's not our king. And if you were the king, you should get down. We had two criminals. One criminal berates him. The other criminal says he does not deserve to be here. And he had enough sense to say, Lord, when you go into thy kingdom, remember me. And then Jesus looks at him and says, today, not tomorrow. But today you'll be with me in paradise. Do you grasp here that the Jesus is King of kings, is Lord of lords. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Have you confessed yet? Has your knee bowed yet? Because he is Lord. When you look at whose king is he, it points out that he's the king that I want in my life. He's the kind of king that when battles come, he's the one leading the battle cry. He's the kind of king when things get rough, he's the one in front of me sheltering me. He's the kind of king that when things are down in my life, he will lift 
me up and shelter me. Not like the king Saul who hides when giants come. But no, he's the king that makes all giants look small. Is he your king? Because if he is your king, then you'll be willing to ride and die with your king. Many of the movies show the king and the leaders coming out. Who's with me? And the cry is, they just yell out because they're like, we support you, king. If you die, we die. Jesus is asking you right now, who's with me? And we start looking. Whoo, that's a deep task, Jesus. How is it that you can ride and die with your homies, with your girls, but the one who gave up his life for you, you got to take a moment to think about it. Passion for my king. I'm going to try to close out with this to impress upon you what our king went to. When you look at Mark, the 15th chapter, you see a detailed description of how they abused him. The, the, the Pilate clearly gave him over to be led to Calvary. He did not say whip him again. He already flogged him and he delivered him over to the soldiers to lead him to Calvary. But they took it upon themselves because they didn't like the Jews to beat him down. Saying, oh, you're the king because they held Caesar. Caesar was their king. So to them, as patriots, that was disrespectful. As we conquered this land and you dare say you're king, we show you king. We'll put a thorn crown, a thorny crown on your head. And push it down so it pierces your scalp. And if that wasn't good enough, they took a stick to ram it upon his head repeatedly. And they whipped him some more. And then after they had their fun, they realized they had their job to be done. They put his clothes back on him to lead him to Calvary. But we also find out that they beat him so much that he was unable to carry the cross. So they had to get a walking, a person that's happened to be passing by, who we now know as Simon from Cyrene, to help carry the cross. But still, as I look at this, whether Simon came or not, Jesus still was willing to bear the burden for you and me. Do you see here that that was even the just the, the start of it because his real pain and sufferings started happening in the garden while he was praying. Because we see, he said, Lord, if this cup can pass over, not my will be done, but your will be done. What happened there is that Christ has already accepted rejection. We read in Philippians, it says, right, he was with God. But now he's about to be separated from God. I want you to really grab this. He's going from always being. The Bible says that he created everything. And without him, nothing was created. To going to saying, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? 
I want you to grab how deep that really is. Because David had enough sense to say, uh, I've been young and now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or received begging for bread. But yet Jesus was forsaken. Do you catch that? David said, I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. But Jesus was forsaken. How is it Jesus was forsaken God, but you won't forsake me? And Jesus is saying, because I did it for you. I want you to grab that he suffered rejection. He became sin who knew no sin. He suffered separation from God so that you and I will never have to. Do you catch that? If you catch that, amen. Talk to the pastor. I want to make sure y'all catch. I'll be done if y'all talk to a brother. Just talk to him. I want you to grab that. That his rejection was for our exception. The greatest act of obedience ended with rejection. (laughs) That should blow somebody's mind. And when he was rejected, it said that it became dark. It's in the middle of the afternoon, and it became dark. Darkness represents sin. And when the sun became our sin, the whole world reflected it. It became dark. Because where darkness is, there is no light. It said the sun was not shining. I heard a pastor saying that the sun refused to shine because the S-O-N was at its brightest moment. When he became sin for you and me. And as he became sin, he cried out in pain because to be in hell means to be from absent, to be absent from God. And he was absent from God for the first time and the only time, just so you and I will never be. And that's why we should be excited come Sunday morning. Oh, death! Where is that victory? Oh, sin! Where is that sting? Oh, death is the last enemy to be defeated because he's alive! He's alive! He's alive! So do you have passion for the king? My challenge is for you. The Saturday is coming. And we know he laid in that tomb all day and all night. We're not going to meet tomorrow. Your challenge is to just rest. Rest. Don't, don't, don't get too caught up in some of your chores you got on Saturdays. But I want you to make some time that you spend a quality time of prayer with God. Because he was suffering for you and me. Come on, he, he is eternal, but he suffered death for you and me. So you can at least give him an hour, if not all the day of your time, and say, Lord, I thank you. 
for you pause for me. <laughs> you pause for me. You pause for me so that I can live. And so as we think about this cross, this cross that set us free, this cross that redeemed our wretched souls, this cross that united us back with our God because the king has set us free. I want your passion for your king to be evident in how you live. Don't just tell people where you go to church. They should see it every time you walk out their house. Every time you walk in that building, that they, they can see you carrying your own rugged cross that one day you'll exchange for a crown. Can the church say amen?